0: you'd be welcome to join us we'll be sure to save a seat for you now here's this week's sermon scripture reading this morning comes from ephesians 5:22 through 27 wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is head of the wife as also christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body therefore just as the christ is subject to or just as the church is subject to christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without and without blemish. You may be seated. As we go through this, this is... As you can probably tell, we've been making our way through the book of Ephesians, and next Sunday we'll finish in this marvelous book. Now, this particular passage, while it speaks of marriage and the particular roles of husband and wife, it's a little far more about something than that. When you go all the way to the end of this chapter and you read verse 32, Paul says, "'This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ.'" and the church. So the whole point, though, as a side point about our marriages, the main point is about Christ and the church and that relationship. And the way that Paul explains this is the relationship of a husband and a wife. We see this throughout various passages in the Bible. Isaiah 54, verse 5, "...for your maker is your husband." The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. So again, we see in this uh, passage, husband and wife language used with regard to God's people and God. And there's one book that's all about this whole theme, and that's the book of Hosea. Hosea, we might say, but I doubt he was Spanish, so I'm going to say Hosea. Uh, but anyway, he was told to go and to marry to take a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, and he met this lady named Gomer. Not Pyle, just Gomer. There's probably about a 10% of you who even get that reference. The rest are going, who's Gomer Pyle? You should look him up. Very interesting fellow. So he marries Gomer, Hosea does, and they do have children, and the names of those children pretty much are attached to the the foreign gods that Israel is worshiping at the time. Gomer believes that all of her material blessings, her home and everything, are the result not of her faithful, loving husband, but of that of her male suitors, if you will, and The sad thing is this was a comparison of Israel and God. Everything they thought they had, they attributed to the various idols and not to their creator and father who actually loved them and provided for them as they had. Then you go on to the end of the Bible into Revelation chapter 19 verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. There are other passages you could look at along these lines. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, Revelation 21, 2, and and on and on. In this time that Paul wrote this, there may have been a little bit of tension between society and the Christians or the church. And a part of that had to do with Roman animosity towards Jews in the first century. They accused them of upsetting the social fabric of the Roman Empire. And usually when this accusation came, you would have some that would, in a way to justify Judaism, would show just how virtuous some parts of it were, one of them being the home. And so part of this may have been uh, written in reference to how society was looking at the Christians. And the point is, they read saying, our house is in order, and, and actually by living this way, we are actually doing good to society. Now, it's earlier been explained and presented that the church is in conflict with the present age and the powers that rule it. But as the church, as new humanity, Paul gives a view of healthy relationship, relationships. I've not had coffee, so bear with me. If there's an interpreter of my tongues, please step forward. But such relationships were a way of, if you will, proclaiming salvation. The Christian home is situated within the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 points out the church as being the household of God. But it's also an extension of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If you back up a little bit in chapter 5 and you look at verses 18 through 21, which lead into this, Paul says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, And spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now it's important to include verse 21 leading into it, because when we read through this, we see a lot regarding submission. And depending on how you read it, you say, well, that's kind of one-sided. And, you know, if you were to read this passage to society they would say there's so much wrong with this and they have their opinions just as we have our faith but there are a few points that are highlighted in this particular passage and first is Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride in the Christian home the husband and the wife have particular roles and I'm not talking about who's going to fold laundry who's going to wash the dishes various other, now you're going to hate me for this but it's funny and I got to tell it you know you know why women's feet are typically generally shorter than men's so they can fit right up to the kitchen sink, right? <laughs> I heard someone go, oh and my wife was giving me a scowl the whole time, so I may need to borrow somebody's doghouse <laughs> or, or your spare bedroom but I think, that, I think that kind of stuff is funny I got another one uh, there's a passage in Revelation, and I, and I told someone, I said, you know there's not going to be any women in heaven, right? It's biblical. And they said, what do you mean? And that one passage in Revelation says, and there was silence for about an hour and a half. I hope you all still love me after that. Okay, I'm done with that. We're, we're going to move on. So Christ is the husband, the church is the bride, and in the Christian home you have husband and you have wife. But a part of this, the emphasis is giving to the husband and wife, one man, one woman. It's not two men or two women. It's not a polygamous relationship or polyamorous relationship. It isn't simply a couple being shacked together, but a husband and wife. This is God's design, a husband and wife. And wife. Very unpopular to say if you run in certain circles. But if we want to conform our lives to the will of God, we see that this is what his plan is. Secondly, this verb, submission or subordinate, it points to a hierarchical order. Wives are to submit as the church is subject to Christ but verse 21 let us submit to one another in the fear of God so you know there are some times that the husband needs to yield to his wife one of the most interesting things about uh, the Choctaw culture that I found in in researching it is that when a delegation would go to Washington DC to negotiate a treaty with the United States government they took women along with them often elderly women And of course, the Euro American men thought that this was savagery. And they thought those women should have been at home where they could be safe. But in Choctaw society, women had as much say as men. As a matter of fact, whenever there was a declaration of war, the chiefs would have to go around to every village and they would have to get the consent of the clan mothers because it was their sons and grandsons that would fight. If the clan mothers didn't give their consent, you didn't go to war. And also, if the women of the tribe favored a certain one to be a chief, more often than not, that's usually who became chief. And even in the Choctaw war dance to this day, it's not men who are dancing, but it's men and women side by side. So our view of of this is, is vastly different Or our understanding is vastly different than what some others may see. There is the history of when the Choctaw were fighting against the Spanish at the Battle of Marbilla, which is Mobile, Alabama. And the Spanish chronicler who recorded this, he noted that as the men fell in battle, their women took up their arms and continued in the fight because it was better for them to die on the battlefield than to ever be caught and enslaved. So our view of this passage is very much uh, probably from a patriarchal standpoint and puts the man in a place that is over the woman in not the most healthiest of ways. It's often wise that a man, a husband, should defer to his wife's judgment. You know, we look at things and we have our, our logical way of examining them. But there have been some times when, you know, Stephanie and I meet people and we walk away and I say, Well, I thought that was a very nice couple, didn't you? And she'd say, There's something about that man I don't trust. It's women's intuition, right? That's something she has that I don't. And it's something that she shares to me and I can listen to that and go, Okay. Her feelings are worthy of being taken into account. The third point is that the Christian household is ordered to be under the lordship of Christ. It isn't just the husband and the wife. You know, someone said that marriage is like a triangle. On those bottom two curves are husband and wife. And they meet at the top where the Lord is over them. I think that's a pretty good illustration of this. Fourth and finally, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, fellas, we can't do this perfectly as Jesus does, but it gives us something to aim toward. And so because we can't do it perfectly, we have to understand that she cannot perfectly do what the Lord expects of her as well. That's why it's necessary to have grace and mercy in those relationships. But I want to point out to you a few things from this passage. When a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, he will, verse 25, uh, in verse 25, when a husband loves his wife as Christ does the church, he'll give himself for her. And there's not a man alive in this auditorium or a husband that would not give his life for his wife. We would willingly lay down our lives for her. But the question that I want to ask is, are we willing to lay down our lives not just to die for her, but also to live for her? Because the years leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus was living for the kingdom of God, the church. So it's not just will you suffer and die for her, but will you also live for her? When a husband loves his wife as, the, as Christ does the church, verses 26 and 27, he's going to care for her to be presented as holy, cleansed, and glorious without any blemish. That's the concern that he has for her, that she not be tarnished in any way. Verses 28 and 29, when a husband loves his wife as Christ does the church, he'll nourish her and cherish her as he does himself. The two become one, just as Adam existed as one person. And then taking from him the rib, Eve was formed. And when they came together in marriage, once more the two became one. I want to read you what uh, Matthew Henry wrote about this. I think it's very beautiful. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of man, not made out of his head to rule over him nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. I couldn't have thought a a prettier way to, to describe that than what he did. Look at verse 29 with me in Ephesians 5. God intends marriage to be an unbreakable covenant and I don't say that to shame anyone who's had to go through the misfortune of divorce. My mother and father divorced when I was 2 years old and then as I aged they married again and then when I was a young adult they divorced again. So I'm a child not just from one broken home but from a double broken home. It's something that you live with, it's something that you regret and it's something sometimes you feel guilty about. It's also something that sometimes you're just saddened over because you want to be a part of a family. You want to have a loving mother and father. And some people don't have that. And some people have been through horrible circumstances to where where marriage has ended. It doesn't take 50-50, it takes 100-100. And it's hard to make it last when someone's putting in 20% while the other is attempting to put in 100%. But the sad thing is many couples operate to see how much they can get out of the other. The marital bed becomes for many a a transaction that more often than not the wife controls and from which the husband may suffer. There are also times when husbands are overbearing, verbally abusive, dismissive of her feelings, and on and on. At least in the case of my family, my parents and my step parents, the root of it all is selfishness. Daddy once said to me, This is my stepfather. Whenever I say daddy, I'm talking about my stepfather. This is the man that raised me, the guy who's responsible for my existence. That's just dad. But daddy told me, He said, Son, do you know what the root of all sin is? I mean, there's so many ways this could go. Daddy, what is it? He said, It's selfishness. It's putting ourselves before what God wants. Sometimes the person you thought you were marrying is entirely different afterwards. When Dad married my stepmother, I was really excited about her because she was such a nice lady. But for some reason, there was something in that wedding cake that made her hateful afterwards. So y'all gotta be careful what goes in that wedding cake. That's all I can figure it was. But she wasn't the sweet woman that my dad dated who was real not kind and nice to me. She became someone totally different. Let me add to this that when I was younger and even older Uh, Stephanie has had ample ammunition to divorce me, to leave me and a lot of people would not have blamed her and if you see pictures on Facebook and Instagram you probably think, oh they have it together our marriage is just about like everybody else's we love one another but we do disagree and sometimes when we disagree we fight I try to win, it doesn't always turn out that way I think I'm always right I know that I married Mrs. Wright. I just didn't realize her first name was always. But the one thing, we were sitting the other day and we asked the question, and you're going to think, this is stupid, maybe, I don't know. But every so often we'll sit down and we'll ask questions that maybe we know the answer to, but that are just good conversational pieces and the question was what is your favorite quality about me i don't remember what she said but i know what i said and what i said was you love me like jesus loves me when i'm undeserving of forgiveness and undeserving <clears throat> excuse me undeserving of mercy or even a second third fourth fifth sixth chance you're willing to forgive you show me grace you're willing to hash it out and talk. That was my answer. My favorite quality of hers is she loves me with the love of Jesus. When the home is rightly ordered this way, let's go into chapter 6. When the home is rightly ordered under the lordship of Christ, we read in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The one thing that I would tell you about how marriages were back then, at least in Roman society, a woman was under the almost, you could say, the property of her father until the property transferred to her husband. She wouldn't have had a whole lot of rights, but the power she had was in being the legitimate wife and bearing legitimate children. But Jesus calls us to something far more than that. Not to just look at a woman as something that one possesses, but to love her as Christ does the church. And it was also not uncommon for Roman men who were married to have mistresses. And if they were well enough off and had slaves or servants working for them to some, dare I say, uh, abuse. I hope you're picking up what I'm trying to be respectful of, little ears. But that they would abuse those slaves because they were seen as property. And so the, the 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 Christian home situated and ordered under the Lordship of Jesus, the marriage goes a certain way. Then when you have children's children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. One thing I want to make as a comment to you. When I read the number of times in the Gospels that Jesus says, honor your father and mother, I want to point out that he is not talking to little children, he's talking to adults scribes, Pharisees, so forth. We have this convoluted notion that once you turn 18, you no longer have to do what your mom and dad says. Now there's a difference in a mother and father being controlling and a difference in getting good advice from mom and dad and honoring them. So we have to see things biblically and not always societally. I think I've probably tried to counsel my 21-year-old daughter more as she's become an adult than anything. I don't command anything of her. I just say, you know, here's unsolicited advice. And someone could say, well, you shouldn't be giving it. She's my daughter. I don't care how old she is. And other than her mother and me and her fiancé, no one will ever love her the way we do. So even as an adult, I want the best for her. That's why she receives unsolicited advice. And I always end by saying, do with it what you want. If I can give a little guidance, but honor your father and mother. And this is the only commandment with a promise that it may be, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. One thing that can be hard as a father of a son is, you know, fathers have certain expectations of their sons that they don't have of their daughters. I know some people say, well, that's sexist. It it is the way things are. You know, daughters, you have a certain affection for as a father, but sons, you want them to become something different than your daughter. You want them to grow up to be men, to be men not only of honor, but to be men of courage, to be men who love and follow the Lord. But when you're overbearing, that may backfire. And then we go further, verses 5 through 9. Bond be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, the goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll not receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master is also in heaven and there is no partiality. Some of your Bibles in these places may say slaves and not bondservants. Slave is something you and I understand a little bit better than a bondservant. Believe it or not, the United States of America did not invent slavery. It has existed from time immemorial. Anytime a people conquers another people, they enslave them. That's how it always was. Not saying it's right, I'm just saying that's how things have been for centuries. And it's only been within the last couple hundred years that those who know the Lord and fear the Lord have taken the stand to try to eradicate slavery as a human right because everyone is deserving of dignity. But in those days, Things were different, and so rather than ruling and being a master as all the other masters were mistreating their their slaves and, 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 and threatening them and beating them, Jesus asked through Paul that the slave, the bondservant, do as he should in his station and that the master be a good master, because though you may be a master, your master is in heaven, 2005, the Guinness Book of World Records said that Percy and Florence Aerosmith, what a name, last name Aerosmith, they held two records, the longest marriage of a living couple, 80 years, I'm sure that's been surpassed by now, and having the largest married couple's aggregate age of 205 years. So both Mr. and Ms. Aerosmith have since died, but they left good advice for those who want to have a lasting marriage. Florence said, you must never go to sleep as bad friends. If you've had a quarrel, you make up. Never be afraid to say sorry. Percy, slightly, his slightly more humorous advice, he said the secret to a last message was just two words. Yes, dear. <laughs> we Christians, we the church ought to make sure that we go to sleep on good terms with our husband, Jesus, every night. And when he commands, we also must reply, yes, dear. I'm going to leave you with a passage, and then we'll be done. The passage that I hope you and I can both implement and that I hope we can apply in our relationships with our children, though we don't have slaves, but in our relationships with one another. I may need a battery change, but that's okay. Philippians chapter 2. Hear the words of Paul. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4. Whereas many married couples compete to see what they can get out of one another, how about you compete to see who can love one another the most? I'm willing to bet if you do that, you'll have a lovely lovely relationship a lovely marriage as we conclude we always want to extend an invitation to any who might need to publicly respond if you are a christian who you've not been walking as the lord wants us all to walk well you're in good company but if it's on your mind and your heart and your conscience and you want the forgiveness of the lord it's offered and it's easy to obtain We'll have elders on each side here, and if you want to respond publicly, you can do so at this time as we stand and sing.